0: Good morning, everybody. My name's Oli, and you'll be hearing later from my wife, Catherine. Our story this morning uh, is of a little boy called Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was born in a palace. He was a royal baby. His dad was Prince Jonathan, and his granddad was King Saul. Mephibosheth had everything a boy could want. All the nicest toys, the best clothes, as much food as he could possibly eat. Mephibosheth had a great life but it didn't last very long. See, one day when Mephibosheth was only five, his dad and his granddad both died in battle. And his nanny was worried that Mephibosheth would be hurt as well. And so she picked him up and ran away with him. But she was in such a panic, such a terrible rush that she dropped him and Mephibosheth was badly hurt. From that day forward, Mephibosheth couldn't walk anymore. He was. He'd left all of his toys behind, his his lovely house, his nice clothes, all his friends, and he had to start again. But now Mephibosheth couldn't walk, and he couldn't play the games that the other children could play. And when he grew up, he couldn't find a job because nobody in those days wanted to hire a disabled person. You could say that Mephibosheth was the saddest man in the world. He had no money, no job. No family. He relied on other people for his food and for his clothes and his shelter. Things had gone really badly wrong for Mephibosheth, and he was very sad. And one day it got even worse. So he received a letter from King David, and the letter was inviting Saul uh, was inviting Mephibosheth to the palace. Now, if you or I received a letter from the king inviting us to the palace, we might be excited. But not Mephibosheth. He wasn't excited. He was scared and frightened. He thought to himself, what what does David want to see me for? Maybe he just wants to laugh at me like so many people had before. Or Maybe he worse, even worse, thought that he might have done something to upset David. Perhaps he could even be in danger. Whatever happened when he arrived to meet King David, he was expecting the worst. He was really scared. But it turned out that David didn't want to laugh at him. And David wasn't angry with him. David gave Mephibosheth presents, gifts. And also he invited Mephibosheth to come and live in the palace with the king. And from that day forward, Mephibosheth lived with King David and ate his meals at King David's house. Mephibosheth then was probably the happiest man in the whole world. Wasn't that a great story? Children, why don't you ask your parents later on today to tell you what this story teaches you about God and about how we interact with God? And if they listen really carefully to the next bit, they might just get some of the answers. Well, We're going to open our Bibles now and uh, look at the story that I've just read you um, or just told to you. But this time we're going to see how how the Bible tells it. So open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to look at that same story again. Let me read this to you. So 2 Samuel chapter 9. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth son of Jonathan the son of Saul came to David he bowed down to pay him honor David said Mephibosheth at your service he replied Don't be afraid David said for I will show you the kindness I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table Mephibosheth bowed down and said to him what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord, the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Yeah, I've grown to absolutely love this story over recent weeks. It's a story really about two people and their lives couldn't be more different. On the one hand, you have Mephibosheth born into royalty, born with so much hope and expectation, but who lost it all. And on this uh, one tragic day, he lost both his father and his grandfather, died in, uh, in battle uh, and therefore lost his, his male relatives, his security, his status. Um, and also on that day, um, sustained this, this injury as his, uh, as his nurse tried to, tried to rescue him to safety, um, maybe some kind of spinal injury. But whatever it was, it left him disabled in a world where disability wasn't treated well. He uh, ended up relying on the support of others, uh, living in someone else's house uh, in a town called Lo Debar, which roughly translates as nothing town. It's a really derogatory term to describe a place that was seen as the middle of nowhere, a place of no significance. And there, Mephibosheth lived out a life seemingly of no significance. And on the other hand, you have David born actually into relative obscurity, but chosen by God. And through various stories, ended up at the point that we find him at here, where he was the king, the great King David. He had immeasurable wealth. He had armies at his command. While Mephibosheth's life had gone on a downhill slope, David's had gone very much uphill. And things were going really well for David at this stage. And then Mephibosheth received this invitation from David to the palace. And I wonder what would have gone through his head when he received that, that information. You're, you're required to come and see the king. I guess he probably asked himself, what, what could the great King David possibly want with me? What could he want with a, a disabled man living as a dependent in Nothingtown, A man who saw himself as a dead dog, the Bible says. One thing he knew for sure was that he had absolutely nothing that David needed nothing at all. And on the other hand, he also knew that he was a descendant of King Saul and then I suppose might have had some kind of claim on the throne. My guess is that when he received that invitation to the palace, his first thought was David must be rounding up any rivals to his authority so that he can deal with them. We know that when Mephibosheth arrived at the palace, he was terrified. We know that he was expecting that when he met the king, he will be met with wrath and with anger. I don't know how difficult it was for him with his disability to, to bow down, as is described here. But can you think of a more tragic sight than uh, a disabled man struggling with his crutches or his wheelchair, however he, however he got around, to, to prostrate himself before the king? Such was his terror, such was his expectation of what he would be met with. Behind the scenes, though, and totally unknown to Mephibosheth, David had been planning this. David had sought him out. It was completely intentional on David's part that he would call Mephibosheth and extend to him kindness, friendship, outrageous generosity. Mephibosheth could do nothing to repay David. And yet David gave him all of this stuff anyway. It's what I suppose we might call grace. And better than any of that, better than the, than the house, than the money, than the status that Mephibosheth had bestowed upon him again, was the fact that he was invited to come and live in the king's palace. He was invited to come and eat at the table. Did you notice what the Bible said there? That Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. See, this wasn't just a series of gifts. This was a deliberate and intentional adoption. David was calling Mephibosheth into his family. Can you see where this is going? See, many generations later, one of David's own descendants, Jesus, would offer that same generosity, that same kindness, not just to one man, but to anyone who comes to him. We might come to the king, come to almighty God, expecting that because of our sin, because of our rejection of him, we'll be met with punishment, we'll be met with wrath, But because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he set out intentionally to seek us, because of his kindness, we're met with generosity. We're met with love. And best of all, we're invited into his family. We're invited to come and sit at his table. We're raised up from dead dogs living in nothing town to residents of the royal court. People who are thereby right because we are sons and daughters. And this is the offer of the Christian faith, not just a God who is generous beyond our wildest imaginations, not just the forgiveness of our sins, but a welcome into a family, a family that currently stands at something like 2.4 billion living members and countless more besides who have gone before us and who the Bible says now cheer us on as we run this race for him. God's family dining table is massive and you're invited to come and sit at it. And it's in that mindset that we're going to come to worship this morning. We're going to come and worship the King, almighty God, who set out deliberately to welcome us, to call us in to be part of his family. And we're not going to worship as isolated individuals this morning. We're going to worship as a family. So look around your screen. Look at the other faces there. If you're in the charis this morning, look around at the other people around you, because this is what God does. He saves for himself a family. Let's worship Jesus, shall we?
1: Well, hello, everyone. I'm Catherine, and I'm carrying on from where Ollie got to before the worship time. So from the story of King David's unexpected kindness to Mephibosheth, we get a picture of God's undeserved kindness to us. He seeks us out, rescues us and brings us into his presence. But whilst our salvation is in many ways deeply personal and individual, we're not saved alone to be with God in isolation. No, God saves us and brings us into his family to live and work alongside the other people he has saved. This family is the church and Community Church Bishop Stortford is our family. We're going to look at some examples from the Bible of how God would like his family to interact with each other. And then i'll tell you about three people who i have counted as my family in different churches i've been part of over the years i hope that through this god speaks to you about how we can be family to each other firstly as members of god's family we must love each other this is really obvious as it's a good thing to do but more than that Jesus told his disciples that how they treated each other would show onlookers that they were followers of Jesus. Let's have a look at John chapter 13. Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus says it is from seeing how well the people in God's family love each other that other people will want to join the family. This is an important part of our witness. Let's love one another well to show that we love Jesus and let this be an invitation to those who are not yet part of God's family. Then we're going to look at Colossians. So Paul's letter to the Colossians tells us more about how to interact as a family of God. In chapter three, he writes, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I really like the imagery of clothing ourselves with these qualities, as I love clothes and I choose outfits and accessories carefully and intentionally each morning. I can't honestly say that I always give as much attention to how I'm interacting with my family over breakfast as I've just given to choosing my clothes and jewellery for the day. But our interactions with each other as family need intentionality. It's great to be relaxed with people, but then all too easy not to bother to try and be kind or humble or gentle. What if I imagined my clothing myself with patience when I clothe myself in the skirt I've chosen for the day? Or if I think of putting on kindness when I put on my earrings and of wearing love over everything else as I get my coat on? If we love one another, as Paul describes here, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience and forgiveness in unity, then as Jesus said, the world will know that we are his disciples and hopefully will want to be part of this family too. Can you think of this when you next get dressed? Paul goes on to say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. This picture of God's family like one body illustrates that each part or person is different but necessary. It reminds us of the importance of each member of God's family and the unique gifts and qualities they bring. This is really positive for what we can achieve together, but also for the acceptance we find. In our own families, we often recognise someone's quirks, but we love them all the more for their individual approach, don't we? And so it should be among our church family. So, we have Jesus' command to love each other as part of our witness, Paul's instruction to intentionally show kindness to people in our church family with as much care as I choose my clothes, and then the reminder that in this family, we each have a part to play. Now to some examples of what family can look like through a brief introduction to three people. I don't have pictures of them, but I have something to remind me of each of them and to help you to remember them. So first I'd like to tell you about Daisy. She gave me these elephants. When I was about eight years old, I used to talk to Daisy at the end of church. And I sometimes went to her house for a cup of tea on a Saturday morning. She must have been in her 80s. I can't remember what we talked about, but she was sweet and kind and she loved Jesus. She always looked out for me on a Sunday and it was lovely to see her smiling face beckoning me across the church foyer, reaching across the generations to spend time with me. I suppose she was a bit like an adopted grandma. I haven't actually thought about her for years, but she was an important part of my church experience as a child. So the next person is actually a couple called Jim and Angela, who gave this book to our family. When I went to university and joined a new church, I signed up to a scheme which paired students with other members of the church. Jim and Angela invited me to their house for Sunday lunch every month, and I ate with them and their three young children. As a student, it was wonderful to leave the university bubble and spend time with people of different ages and to be cooked homemade food and to sit on a sofa in a comfortable living room. We talked about God and we talked about life. They helped me feel part of the church. It was good to know there was someone a bit like a parent who was close by. We stayed in touch and they came to our wedding. And they visited when our son Henry was born and gave him this book. Then the final person to mention is Louisa, who lots of you know. She gave me these earrings for my birthday. We met Louisa when we first joined a small group at CCBS after moving here almost three years ago. She became a friend to us both and she looked after Henry in Sunday school. When she comes to dinner, it's so relaxed and natural. She feels like a sister. When our son Toby was born, we asked her to be his godmother, to be another adult present in his life who will support him and pray for him. She's an honorary godmother to Henry too. She prays for us and we pray for her. She babysits for us. Louisa enjoys coming to our home and being part of our family and joining in with the ups and downs of dinner time and bath time with two small children. We are so grateful for her. There are other people who I could have told you about who have shown me what it means to be part of the family of God at different times. And there are some people who are like the person in your own family who you actually find a bit tricky, but you love and support them anyway because they're family. We are all part of God's family with our similarities and differences, skills and weaknesses, likes and dislikes, and we all have unique ways to show love and kindness to each other. So, is there a way that you could help someone in our church to feel more a part of the family? Or, by stepping out to welcome someone else, could you help yourself to feel better integrated into the family? Do you have a Daisy or could you be a Daisy, reaching across the generations? Could you be a Jim and Angela to someone, welcoming them into your home? Do you need a sister like Louisa or could you be a Louisa to someone else? And as we transition out of lockdown, Are there ways to become more of a family than we've ever been before? We started this morning thinking of the beautiful truth of our own adoption into God's family by looking at the unlikely story of Mephibosheth. We are wonderfully saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus and brought into God's family alongside each other. Here we have the joy and responsibility of demonstrating Jesus' love to a watching world by the way we love and care for each other. Let's strive to be the kind of family that people want to be a part of, so that the family of God keeps growing. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you that we can call you Father, because you have saved us through Jesus and adopted us into your family. Thank you for the people who have become our family because they're part of your family. Thank you for everyone at Community Church and the part we all play in this family. Please help us to love and care for each other well and by this for others to want to join us so that more people are saved, amen.